Ever watched um, A Christmas Carol? Or if you're like me and you've already seen nine versions of it so far this season, uh, intentionally, um, there's a scene in there, you'll notice, Fred Hollywell, he's Scrooge's nephew. And uh, he's, a little too, uh, he's, he's a little too glowing for Ebenezer Scrooge. He's a little too optimistic. Uh, there's a little bit of too much of Christmas spirit with Fred. And at some point when Fred is dealing with Scrooge and Scrooge is just wishing that he would go away, Fred says this when they're sort of battling about Christmas. And Fred says, I've always thought of Christmas time when it has come around as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not just another race of creatures bound on other journeys. It's a pretty profound thing that Dickens wrote for this character, Fred Hollywell. We're incredibly drawn to acts of kindness and humility. When people do what Fred just said, when they open up their shut up hearts freely, and we seem to especially love it when it's someone who is well known, right? Um, have you ever wondered why we're so impressed when we see a celebrity do something genuinely kind and humble, right? I remember when, um, a video of Keanu Reeves went viral a couple of years ago because he gave up his seat uh, for a woman on a crowded subway. Maybe some of you remember that video. But we have a lot of admiration for those who have a lot to give to those who have little. Or when people who are well-known treat those who are less known with some dignity and respect and care. It, it just, it does something to us. It draws something up in our hearts because we, we value sacrifice, we value selflessness, and even more so when it comes from someone that, and at least in our mind or in our thinking, seems to be in an elevated or privileged position. In his letter to the Philippians, the Philippian church, the apostle Paul, he actually encourages the church to live selflessly and sacrificially to do what Keanu Reeves did on the subway. And he, he says it like this in the book of Philippians chapter two. He said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Then he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then he says this, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this sounds a lot like what Fred Hollywell, Scrooge's nephew, just described. And in fact, if we did a poll tonight, which we're not going to do, so relax, but most of us would probably say that we'd love to actually do more of this than we do. And really at the heart of what I'm describing, at the heart of what Paul really is describing there to the Philippian church is this thing called humility. And one thing that we know about humility, if we talk about humility, is that it's rarely offensive, right? Like in other words, when, when we kill someone with kindness, they don't actually die, right? It's something that is well received by everybody, kindness and humility. And yet, when we talk about Jesus, when the topic turns to Jesus, 
who was crucified in the greatest act of humility in human history. And people everywhere just seem to get strangely offended by that. But it can't be because Jesus was merely humble. I mean, there has to be something else that's offensive about Jesus. And I think the Apostle Paul helps us discover what it is when he says in this same chapter, he says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, this is what he says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, you can read those three verses and have a lot of admiration for Jesus. Because after all, it, it says that even though he was equal with God, he emptied himself by taking human form, which doesn't mean he surrendered his godness or his divine attributes, but that he added a human nature so that he could accomplish something for us, so that he could live perfectly among us and die effectively for us. And all of that is great, right? All of that is even admirable. But then we get to these verses that I'm getting ready to read here. We get to verses 9 through 11. This is what Paul goes on to say. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's when things get just a little problematic for us. Because here we see that Jesus wasn't just merely a humble guy. Here is where we see that Jesus is a humble king. And it's this part of Jesus, this king part, this we have to call him Lord part that becomes just super difficult for us. Because here's the thing, we can accept a humble Jesus. In fact, it's, it's probably how you grew up thinking of Jesus. It's probably how Jesus has been most portrayed, whether it's in churches or it's in our culture, right? A kind forgiving, charitable, just all around pleasant guy who taught the world some good life lessons. I mean, he is, he's that picture that a lot of our parents and grandparents had and maybe still have of Jesus hanging on the wall, right? Long, light brown hair, a kind, gentle smile on his face, looking like he's ready to go surfing, right? <laughs> That's the Jesus that we're familiar with that we've grown up with. But go with me here. Because when we talk about Jesus, we want to make sure we're talking about the right Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus with long hair getting ready to catch some waves. Not the smiling Sunday school Jesus looking ready to sell us something on QBC, right? But Jesus, the humble king, which is who we just sang about. Because here's the thing. If Jesus is just humble, all right, just follow me here for a second. If Jesus is just humble, then demanding to be worshipped, like Paul just pointed out, would seem way out of character. This bowing at the knee and confessing that he is Lord thing would be like, wait a minute, pal, right? 
I mean, if Jesus is just a humble guy, then it would be enough for us then to just do humble things. And if it was enough for us to just do humble things, then it would have made no sense for Jesus to come and humble himself to the point of death. He would have been like, hey, it's all good. And we could just tap him on the shoulder when we find ourselves in need of some money or maybe we have some health issues. If we really were humble enough, then God sending Jesus to die for us seems like cruel and unusual punishment. There's a logic there, isn't there? But if Jesus is the humble king who died, we must have needed something far more than what our personal acts of kindness and humility were able to earn for us. If Jesus is the humble king who died, then the greatest outcome for us would probably be to humble ourselves before Jesus. The problem is that if you're like me, it's hard to be humble. I mean, it's easy to do humble things, to look humble, but to be a truly humble person, well, that's, that's something else entirely. There's a story in the book of 1 Kings about a guy called Naaman. And he was this uh, commander. He was a commander of the Syrian army. And it turns out that he had leprosy. And leprosy is this horrible skin disease that just eats away until eventually um, it ends your life. So Naaman, he, uh, he, founds, he finds out about a prophet named Elisha who he goes to, who he thinks might be able to help him. When he gets to Elisha's house, Elisha says, doesn't even go to the door, sends his servant to the door and says, hey, tell the guy, go wash seven times in the Jordan River. That's all you need to do. You'll be clean. What's interesting is that it makes Amon like super angry. It makes the guy so mad that Elisha wouldn't even come to the door, Right? Because he had visions of Elisha coming out of his house, standing over him, calling upon the Lord and healing him. Naaman couldn't believe that all Elisha asked him to do was believe what he said and take a few baths in the Jordan. What happens at the end of the story is that his servants reason with him. And they say, hey, this is all he's asking you to do. And it's actually a profound thing when you come right down to it. So what does Naaman do? But he humbles himself. He washes in the Jordan, which was just a dirty, dirty river. Seventh time out, he's made clean. So the Christian message of the gospel is this. Humble yourself before Jesus, the humble king, whose heart was so big for us that he became one of us. No other Lord, no other king in your life will empty themselves and die for you like this humble king and Lord. In fact, it's just the opposite. They will empty the affections of your heart and give back nothing in return of any lasting significance. They will want all of you 
just like Jesus wants all of you, but give back nothing in return. See, Jesus wants all of you, but gives you all of himself in return. So see, when we understand Jesus the way the Bible describes him, that he was the son of God who came to die an undeserved death for a world he created but who rebelled against him, then we don't merely see a humble guy. We see a king who humbled himself. Not because he loved the attention and not because he just wanted us to like him, but because he loved us. Like Naaman, we have to look at the state that we're in and say, what's actually in my best interest? What's actually in my best interest? More specifically, who has my best interest? The Bible says it's the one who lowered himself to those who were below him. Who would do that while demanding to be worshipped? Well, only someone who has your best eternal interest in mind. So as you look at your life this Christmas, are you willing to ask, what's worth losing in order to gain what I can never lose? Let me read to you the realization that Paul came to that question. This is what he said, and it's dramatic. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And listen to what he says. He goes, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is a dramatic statement from a guy like Paul who spent a large chunk of his life writing these letters while chained up in prison. But this is what makes Christmas possible. Because a humble king named Jesus was born in a dirty manger to wash and clean us from the dirt and filth and stain of our sin. So anytime I have the opportunity to walk to church, I love to walk to church because we live about a mile away and I was walking here tonight. And uh, one thing about the streets of Ashland is none of us would probably think they're that dangerous, right? I didn't feel like I was taking my life into my hands as I'm walking down the mean streets of A-Town tonight, right? So it didn't feel dangerous, but I got to tell you, the lighting on our streets, I'm not making a political statement right now, it's a little dark, a little on the dark side, right? And we've had some snow and some ice, you know, kind of accumulate recently. So it didn't feel dangerous in the way that we think dangerous, but it did feel dark 
And as I crested the hill to come down Luther, I heard in the distance good old Dino Martin singing a little Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. What an interesting parallel, isn't it? What a weird juxtaposition, right? Because it didn't feel dangerous, and in the distance, I hear this jolly old crooner singing a song that I love. But at the same time, at any minute, any minute, I could have slipped. I could have not seen something that was in front of me. Why? Because it's still dark. And for some of you, that is your life. God wants to shine a light on the darkness of your heart to the things that you can't see, that you've been unwilling to see. And so tonight is a night that God can speak to you as you crest the hill into 2020. And he can surface something in your heart that will make you see him clearly and help you understand that it's by humbling yourself before the most humble of kings that you can find life in his name. That is the hope of Christmas, that finally the light goes on. The light turns on in your heart because all the other stuff can fool you. It's not dangerous, man. Dino's playing. But there is ice and there are unseen things there that are a reality that God came to shine a light on so that your life might be transformed and given over to him and the glory of God that sent his son to die so that you might live. First Peter 5, this is how I'm going to finish. God opposes the proud. He's not just hanging with the proud. They're not his boys. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then Peter says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He may lift you up. He may bring you face to face with him, because in Christ, you will have peace with God. That's Christmas. Let's pray. God, thank you for the peace that we have with you through Jesus Christ. Lord, we are not humble people, which is why you had to send a humble king, your son, to break us and to shine light on our dark hearts. Only you have our ultimate best interests in mind. I pray that tonight, God, you would speak to us, you would humble us, you would cause us to come before you and give our lives to you, repent of our sins, stop trying to be the master of our destinies because it's foolish. So God, would you reveal your son to us and the light of Christ 
during this time, during this Christmas season, so that our lives might be changed and we might have hope, not just for 2020, but for all the years to come, and most importantly, for eternity that exists beyond the years you've given us. Lord, we thank you that this is such good news for us tonight. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.